Well, it is good to be here. Good to see you guys. I'm always overjoyed by our times together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 will say it this way. It says, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, uh, but encourage one another. And I'm always, 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 I say it to you all the time, but it's true. I'm always encouraged when I get to see your faces, probably because I pray for you often. Some of you, I don't know your names, but uh, your face comes up and I pray for you. And then to connect it all together on a Sunday morning to see you, it's just good to see you. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, I'm encouraged to see you today. That, that, that neighbor did sound encouraged. So look at somebody else and just say, I'm encouraged to see you today. Listen, let's get to the word of God. If you guys can grab your Bibles and meet me in Romans chapter one, Romans one. And listen, as you get there, let me let me quickly lay something before you. Uh, probably more emotional than I normally am. Uh, this, is, this, this has been an interesting week. I, earlier this week, I started to receive multiple texts from many of you that are sitting right in this room. And they were very encouraging texts. Pastor, we're praying for you. We're thinking about you. Do you need anything? Uh, anything you're dealing with that, uh, that, that I can talk about, we can talk about and, and help. And uh, I wasn't sure. I was encouraged, but I wasn't sure why I was receiving so many texts all at the same time. Uh, and to one of the text messages, I realized that a pastor in uh, of a mega church in L.A. committed suicide last week. And, um, and it broke my heart. You know, unfortunately, this is a recurring theme. We constantly are seeing uh, people that are in ministry take their lives. And I'm not saying your job isn't hard. I'm not saying the hours you work aren't difficult. I'm not saying you don't take uh, emotional baggage home from your, your job. But there is a weight to ministry that is somewhat unexplainable. I try to explain it to my wife, and sometimes I, I fail at trying to explain uh, the way. There, there's, a, there's a consistency to preaching every week and uh, counseling every week and dealing with the business affairs of the church, uh, trying to put out fires, uh, all at the same time trying to be a faithful husband, trying to be a faithful father, uh, and uh, dealing with some of your own sinful issues in this room, the sinfulness of members and my own, because I got to wrestle with my, my issues, too. And so you, you bring all of that together and then consistently preaching, which, you know, if you're serious about the word of God, uh, you take your preparation time and prayer really, really serious. And, and one of my mentors will say it this way. Preaching on a weekly basis is like cutting the grass. The moment you cut it, it starts growing back. You got to cut it again. I don't know about y'all, but Sundays come quick. They come quick. I mean, you look up and Sunday's right back. It felt like we were just here together yesterday. Uh, but there, there's a weight and, and a pressure. And so I, I think what, what I'm trying to express to you is not just pray for me, uh, but also pray for your brothers and sisters that are dealing with emotional issues. Because the reality is some of us, like if, we, if we're really honest, we have trauma in our life that has never been dealt with. And we've gone and we've tried to function in life, but at some point it always catches up to you. And so I, I strongly affirm counseling. I strongly affirm therapy. It's important for us to talk through our issues. And God has given us some gifted uh, individuals with degrees that uh, can help us with our issues. And so uh, pray for your brothers and sisters. Uh, don't ever feel like you can't talk to somebody. Just this year alone, we've had uh, several of either attempts to commit suicide in this building, in this church, uh, and not in this building, but in the members within this church and people that have expressed uh, the, the, the lack of wanting to live anymore. And so pray. You, you just don't know what people are dealing with. You don't know how your hug, your good morning, your phone call, your text could change the trajectory of someone's life. So 
please pray for your brothers and sisters. And while you do that, I do solicit your prayers as well. Just a couple of stats I, I was thinking about this week as this story came up. Uh, 90% of pastors work more than 51 hours a week. 80% of pastors believe that uh, ministry has affected their family negatively. 33% of pastors said that being in ministry was an outright hazard to their family. 75% uh, reported a significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. 50% felt unable to meet the needs of their job. 90% felt inadequate uh, inadequately trained to cope with ministry demands. Listen to this. 70% say that they have lower self-esteem now than when they first started out in ministry. 40% reported a serious conflict with a member at least once a month. Not here, though. Y'all are just sweet. 30% of pastors confess to having been involved in an inappropriate relationship uh, with someone in the church. 70% do not have anyone that they consider a close friend. Man, I'm telling you, every pastor, a requirement to be a pastor should be a requirement to counseling because every pastor needs some level of counseling. So, uh, again, I'm not saying your job isn't hard. I just need you guys to be praying for, for me, praying for the church, and praying for your brothers and sisters. Amen? All right, let's get at it. Romans chapter 1. Once you go right to verse 16 is where we're going to be today. Here it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written. Now, he's going to quote, if you write in your Bible, write these verses right, in your, right next to verse 17 to build a commentary. He's going to quote Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But he's also, this is also such a famous verse that is found two other times in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Here it is, the righteous will live by faith. I'm going to preach this afternoon from a one-word topic, and that is unashamed. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, are you unashamed of the gospel? I think we'll find that out uh, as we dig through the text, so don't answer it. Let's pray. Let's look to the Lord. Lord, meet us today as we dig into your word. We, we, we do not need just a word to take us through the week. We really do need a word to transform our lives. We need something that we, that's going to stick to us and encourage us and correct us and all of the things that your word does. So today, Lord, I'm praying that Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. I pray that I wouldn't add anything to this text and I wouldn't take anything away from it. But we'd be able to understand what Paul is saying to us today. Not only what he's saying today, but what he said to the first century church in Rome and how that impacted them. May it impact us the same exact way. Why? Because it's the same Holy Spirit that moves. It's in Christ's name we all give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. Unashamed. My first year in college, I originally went straight from high school to a college in uh, the northern part of Jersey. It's in Elizabeth, Jersey. It's called Kane University. And uh, when I went there, the, one of the first courses they required us to take, it was, it was mandatory. We couldn't take another course until we passed this course. It was a course on writing, a course on, on, on how to uh, uh, structure sentences and what are reliable sources, how to write on a college level is what they were trying to teach us, how to do research, because I had to do research papers. And one of the, the main focuses of the class was on this idea of writing your thesis statement. 
Now, thesis statement basically is the entire paper boiled down to one statement or even one sentence. In essence, you can understand what the rest of the paper is about if you just understand what that one statement is about. Now, I don't know if Paul set in on the class that I had my freshman year, uh, but, but in essence, verse 16 and verse 17 is Paul's thesis statement. You will better understand the rest of Romans if you understand verse 16 and verse 17. And as much as I wanted to knock off a large chunk of, uh, of the passage today and try to, I wanted to at least try to get down to verse 25, the Holy Spirit arrested my attention and would not let me move past verse 17 because I realized if we understand verse 16 and verse 17, everything else for the rest of the book will start to make since so it behooves us here to press pause and spend time here. Let's look and see what Paul is talking about. Verse 16. We won't be here long, by the way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also to the Greek. The first word of that sentence begs for our attention today. For. The reason the first word begs for our attention is because that word for or because is actually connecting the preceding verse. Verse 15 and verse 16 actually go together. So this is how the passage should have read. Uh, verse 15 says, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome for or because I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. In other words, Paul is like, listen, I'm eager to come to Rome. And the reason I want to come to Rome is verse 16. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So verse 15, in essence, gives us Paul's desire. Verse 16 gives us Paul's explanation of his desire. He's telling you right here why he desires to come to Rome. Now, when I read this earlier this week, I was scratching my head and trying to figure out why in the world would anyone be ashamed of the gospel? Why, why would Paul even feel the need to put gospel in the same sentence that he would put shame. It didn't make sense to me until I realized that there is multiple reasons why people are ashamed of the gospel. And during this time in first century Rome, there were people that were ashamed of the gospel for at least three reasons. Can I share those three reasons with you? If you're taking notes, take these down. First reason. First reason that people are ashamed of the gospel is based on the very nature of the gospel message itself. Understand where Paul is talking about proclaiming the gospel. He's actually talking about coming into Rome. Rome was the capital city, not of that, that, that part of the world, of the world, period. You didn't know how to operate in life without understanding Roman law, how Romans thought and what, who Roman, the, the Greek pantheon of gods that they worship. That's how you understood life at that time. And so Paul understood this. And Paul understood if I was going into Rome, that is where the noble were, the elite. That is where the upper class and the established, the cream of the crop would have lived in Rome. So Paul understands that if I'm coming into Rome to preach the gospel, I better be preaching a message that's on par with the message that they've heard from their philosophers, with the message that they heard from their great critical thinkers. But Paul knows that the message he's going in with is actually countercultural. The message he's going to proclaim is different than what they've already heard. Here's a message that would have made sense to them. I'm, I'm coming into Rome and I'm preaching about this king. This earthly king that has an earthly throne and 10,000 servants around him, a ton of gold, and he's coming to conquer 
uh, Rome. But that's not the message that Paul is coming to preach. The message he's coming to preach is, I'm preaching to you a king, and through him is salvation. Oh, by the way, he lives in an insignificant town, a small town called Nazareth. People would have laughed at that. Your king comes from where? Remember Nathaniel and John, and John chapter 1 trying to figure out Nazareth, and he said, what good can come from Nazareth? Listen, I've been to Nazareth. Ain't nothing there. And so when, I, when you understand what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying I'm coming into Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I realize that if you walk around preaching a message like that in Rome, of course there were people that were ashamed of that. Your king comes from where? Your king is who? And that's one of the things I love about the gospel. I love that the gospel always is countercultural. The gospel always goes against what society deems as normal. What you think is normal, the gospel always flips it completely upside down. And let, let, let me prove this to you. In the culture, you win the battle by fighting. But in the gospel, Jesus won the battle by dying. In, in the culture, the culture will teach you that in order to get ahead and be successful, you got to earn it and work hard. But in the gospel, it's countercultural. We, we demand success by resting in the one who has worked hard. Does that make sense to us? In the culture, what, what you'll see is that the guilty are punished. But in the gospel, the guilty walk free while the innocent is punished. And so when you understand the gospel message, it's not a message that you've ever heard before. Paul knows that. He knows that he's coming in with a gospel that doesn't make sense in the mind of a first century Roman, but he also knows that's the message that you need to hear. And so the first reason that people can be ashamed and even reject the gospel is because of the nature of the message itself. Second reason, write this down. Second reason people are ashamed of the gospel during that time and even still today is because the message itself just seemed too simple. It seemed like a message that was beneath them. You got to understand that the gospel is, you know, it goes in it, their Their gods would have said, man, this religion is only for the, the critical elite, the thinkers. But the gospel says even the wisest person in Rome gets the same salvation as the most uneducated person in Rome. They get the same thing and a special place in heaven for you. You get the same salvation. And so that message would have seemed too simple for people. They needed something that they could earn. It was beneath them. And the reason they wanted to earn it is because if I'm able to earn it and you're not, I can now floss over you. But in the gospel, there is no room for bragging. In the gospel, there is no room for boasting. Why? Because it ain't up to you anyway. When you understand that Christ has earned the same salvation for all of us, it stops you from beating your chest and saying, look at me. Yeah. It moves us to a place of saying, look at Jesus. So, yes, the wisest person can accept the gospel, but the most intellectually foolish person can accept the gospel and get the same thing. So the first reason that they're ashamed is based on the nature of the message itself. My king is coming from Nazareth. That the second reason that they're ashamed or even reject the gospel is because it just seemed too simple. Here's the third and final reason that some reject the gospel. Do not miss this one. The third and final reason why people reject the gospel is because of moral reasons. In other words, the gospel makes demands on your life. And some people don't want to accept those demands. And so in other words, if you're, not, if you're not ready to change 
your life. The gospel is extremely inconvenient. If you're not able, if you're not ready, if you're not ready to turn from your wicked ways, the gospel is a, is, is a nuisance. Doesn't make sense. Why would I? And so the gospel demands that you change. Pastor B, you, you're telling me I, I can't keep sleeping around with, with someone that's not my wife? The gospel demands that you change. Now, listen to me. You do not change to be a Christian. You change because you are a Christian. So the gospel is always going to demand something from you. Pastor, you mean to tell me I can't smoke weed anymore? Yeah, the gospel is demanding that you put that down and that you're now controlled by something else called the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's tax season. I know how we do. Y'all know we ghetto. We, we be like, listen, Pastor, you're telling me I can't claim these kids on my taxes that ain't mine? The gospel demands that you live in with integrity and character. But if we're not, if we're not willing, if you're not willing to change, the gospel is inconvenient. I know some of you are like, Pastor, listen, I don't live this way all my life, so it's no way I'm going to change. The devil is a liar. You got the Holy Spirit living in you. You cannot tell me you cannot change. We all can change if the Holy that's what Ephesians 1 will say. That the Holy Spirit lives in you. Let me quote it. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Here it is. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Do you realize if you've trusted in Jesus, you got God living in you? How in the world does somebody got God living in them say, I can't stop sinning. The devil's lying. You can stop. You can stop. Why? Because all of us in here have one thing in common. And that is that every day we should be striving to look more like Jesus Christ. I don't care if you trusted him 50 years ago. Today, you should be striving to look more like Jesus like you were the day you first met Jesus. So the gospel demands something from you. The gospel demands change. The gospel demands growth. The gospel doesn't say that you can accept Jesus and you can go out and still do whatever you want to do. Gospel demands change. And many of you in here are wrestling with that right now. You're wrestling because you're like, ah, oh, man, but he loves me. And I, I know, I know, like, the gospel has a weird way of breaking up relationships. It does. Like, them sinful relationships that, you know, you don't know how to get out of. You meet Jesus, and you'll be like, what in the world am I doing? You meet Jesus, it changes your worldview. It changes everything. You have a new value system. So what I value before, I no longer value. And so here's a rhetorical question because Paul says he's not ashamed. Are you ashamed of the gospel? And I know many of you look straight because I don't want your neighbor side-eyeing you. That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. But here's the reality. Most of you, 99.9% .9 of the room will say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But your life reflects that you are. Your profession doesn't say that you're not ashamed. But your life might show me that you're ashamed of the gospel. Here, a little litmus test. If you want to know if you're ashamed of the gospel, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ on Sunday and Monday you live a contradictory life, you might be ashamed of the gospel. If nobody on your block, in, on your job, in your family knows that you have professed faith in Jesus, you might be ashamed of the gospel. Like how in the world, like I remember years ago I, I went, I used to get my hair cut from this dude uh, in Philly. He was nice. I mean, just, just nice with the, with the barbers, with the clippers. And I remember one time I was talking to him and started sharing the gospel with him. And the first time I shared the gospel with him, he was like, bro, you a Christian? I didn't even know you was a Christian. I was convicted. 
How in the world do people that live with you and are around you don't know that you profess faith in Jesus? You might be ashamed of the gospel. When you get around your friends, your friends that influence you to do things that you know you're not supposed to be doing, do they influence you or do you influence them? Because that's an indication on if you're ashamed of the gospel. Where do you find your identity at? Do you find your identity in your relationships? Do you find your identity in your occupation or your degree? If you do find your your, your identity in something other than Jesus Christ, you might be ashamed of the gospel. Do you spend more time texting your boo than you do praying to the Lord? You might be ashamed of the gospel. And I can go on and on. There are so many other indications that show us that we're ashamed of the gospel. But most of the rumors say, I'm not ashamed. But again, our lives reflect something different. And so I love Paul. He says, listen, I'm coming to Rome and I'm coming loaded. I'm coming ready. You know why I'm ready? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, here's how my mind works when I read this. I get stuck there. I do. When I read the Bible, I say, "Okay, if I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I want to I want to exhaust everything that that means. But I, I, I couldn't help but, but think to myself, why was Paul not ashamed? Like, what gave him this boldness? What gave Paul this type of confidence that you could walk into a ruthless place like Rome and preach the gospel and everybody get saved? What gave Paul that type of confidence? Here it is. I don't got to make it up. If I'm not ashamed of the gospel, here's why I'm not. Because it's the power of God for salvation. Paul realizes that the daggone message he's coming to preach actually got power in it. It, The gospel is is God's power packed into words. It's God's power packed into a message. The New Testament was written in a language called Greek. And I wanted to illustrate this point a little bit. And so I went on the the black web and and found some dynamite. And I got a little lighter here because y'all going to understand what the gospel is today. So I'm going to take out half the room, and y'all just watch. So, so let, let me, she said, go to the other side. I feel the spirit over here. So, so, so the New Testament is written in a language called Greek, and, and, and this word power here, write this in your Bibles. I know you want to see what's happening, but I, I, I ain't going to blow it up yet. Write this in your Bibles. Power in the Greek is the word dunamis. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. So you got to understand what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul ain't just saying like just some like some a little bit of power. He's talking an explosive power. Yeah, we're going to light it up today, baby. It's going to be lit. If, if it lights. There it is. All right. So by the time this goes off, y'all, y'all understand the message a little bit clearer. When Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the reason he says I'm not ashamed of it is because of this, because it's. Dunamis is power. Can you hold that for me while it goes off? Because if it goes, look, she's like, I don't know. <laughs> this, is what, this is what the gospel is. But you know what? It's so much greater than this. Like, this will blow up the room. The gospel blows up the world. You got to understand that the message that you are proclaiming is 10 times more powerful than this. Let me put this out before it actually blows up. Oh, here it is. The Lord done saved us. Glory to God. <laughs> Hey, that's when you get charismatic right there. The Lord done saved us. Listen, the gospel, the gospel is the dunamis. 
It's, it's the power and the might of God. And Paul, Paul actually says this in another place. He says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but in dunamis, the same exact word, in power. When I was a kid, uh, my friend, I don't know where he got these from. I was living in North Carolina at the time. My father was stationed on Camp Lejeune Base, and he got these, uh, these, these little sticks of dynamite. They, dynamite. they was actually like a quarter of a dynamite. They were called M80s. Anybody ever heard of an M80? The U.S. military built M80s uh, in, in the 20th century. And, and let me tell you something about an M80. It's not a full stick. But if an M80 goes off in your vicinity, you better be somewhere else. Because that thing was powerful. So what we would do is we, we'd get a soda can and we'd light that thing up and we'd all run and we'd stand back and we'd watch and it just, it just blow the soda can up. But we got bored with that. So I had a friend that said, listen, this is what we're going to do. Let's put it in a mailbox. Now, if I blew up your mailbox... I'm saved now. I know Jesus and I apologize. But in Jersey, we would go around and we'd light up an M80 and we put it in the mailbox. And, and the first time this happened, I could not believe it. It literally blew the whole top of the mailbox off. And the mailbox was just standing with a pole. That's dunamis. But let me tell you something. The gospel shows us that the dunamis of the, of the gospel of salvation is so much more greater. It's greater that there's no other place in Scripture, no other place that talks about the power of God for anything else other than the gospel. Like, you got to understand that. I, I, I love a guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Hatton Spurgeon talks about, in his book, Lecture to My Students, he talks about how whenever he's preaching the gospel, he's from the 18th century in, in London, uh, whenever he's preaching the gospel, he's often wondering who is being saved. Because it never occurs to him that the gospel won't accomplish what it said it would. Whenever I preach, I'm always going, somebody getting transformed. I don't care how sloppy the message was. I don't care how intellectual I, I wasn't communicating today. The gospel always, always, always transforms lives. But not just doesn't just transform your life. It always saves somebody. Why? Because the power isn't in my eloquence. The power is in the message itself. There is no other place. There is no other place in Scripture that talks about this dunamis or the power of God but the gospel. You know the Bible actually talks about the sun, the S-U-N. You know, the same sun that is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. That all the planets revolve around the sun. As powerful as the sun is, the Bible never refers to the sun as the power of God. The Bible talks about waves. You think about a tidal wave or a tsunami. A tsunami can, can uh, rise up to 100 feet, and it can move at 80 miles per hour, destroying everything in its path. But the Bible never refers to a tsunami as the power of God. Only when a dead heart is made alive, only when eyes are open to the beauty of Jesus Christ do we get these words, the power of God. The power of God is in the gospel. Here's, here's the reason why, you know, sometimes I come in and I'm like, oh God, like Lord, I, I just want to preach something else. This just seems so redundant. But then I read this this week and was like, oh, this is why we do it every week. Because the message of the cross actually does have power. Don't just note the power of the gospel. Note the sphere of salvation. Look at the text with me. This is for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Okay, for who? To everyone who believes. First the Jew and then the Greek. So in other words, the gospel is for everyone. Why is that important? Because y'all know we pick and choose who we share the gospel with. 
Y'all know y'all look at family members and be like, they so trifling, they'll, they'll never be saved. Despite the fact you was trifling and you got saved. Like we look at people as though they're too far for the Lord. We look at people as though they're unsavable. And we look at and we look at ourselves and we preach the gospel from a privileged position. You should have saved me. You know who I am? You know what I bring to the table? Nothing. We bring nothing to it, but that's what we do. And we look at others and we keep them from the gospel because we think they can't be saved. But I just read that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone. There is not a person living on this earth that cannot be transformed by the gospel. Not a person. Doesn't matter your nationality. Doesn't matter your religion, gay, straight, whatever sex you are. It does none of that. Whether you're foolish, whether you're wise, whether you are in a different economic bracket than everybody else, the gospel is able to save everybody. But that's why the Bible just said that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to who? Everyone. But even though it's for everyone, which means you don't get to pick and choose who you share the gospel with, not everybody will receive it. Not everybody, like you do know somebody's got to go to hell. And I know that's hard to hear. I know it's hard to, that's not palatable. That's not something we preach, but it's reality. But you don't get to say who goes to hell. You get, your job is to share the gospel. God's job is to save them. When we first started the church, we were trying to just engage the neighborhood in different ways. And one of the ways we decided that we were going to engage the neighborhood was we said, let's give out water bottles. We went down to Fulton and Marcy, and we stood there. That's before the bank was there. And uh, we stood out there, and we took water bottles, a little pack of little water bottles, and we put our logo on the water bottle, and we was giving it out for free. We had a sign that said free water, and people would walk by. This is my observation. People would walk by and say, is it free? We'd say yes. And do you realize that even though it was free, People still denied the water. They were hot. I know they were thirsty. There was one dude running, jogging by. I'm like, bro, you need some water. Denies the water. Why do people deny? Because even though it's free, doesn't mean everybody's going to accept it. And so it's the same way with the gospel. In the gospel, the gospel is 100% free. God doesn't charge you 50% of the bill. It's 100% free, but even though it's free, somebody still is going to deny it. I love the way the Bible says it says that the gospel is the aroma of life to some, but it's the stench of death to others. Some will receive it and some won't. But again, that doesn't that's not up to you. I don't care how trifling they live all their life. If they on their deathbed and say, I want to accept Jesus, God is able to save them. And I know y'all like, I don't believe in no deathbed repentance. Well, what happened with the dude on the cross? The dude I was on the cross sitting there like, Lord, like you are the son of God. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't wait for him to get down and perform good works. He said, you're mine today. And he's sitting on, the cro- on his death cross. And so God can save anybody at any time. It doesn't matter the life they're living now. You pursue them with the gospel. Why? Because it has what? Dunamis. Now, now what is the, the prerequisite for, for salvation, for accepting this message? Look at what it says. Verse 17. We'll end here. Verse 17 says, for in it, the right for in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Look at these words from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by what? By what? It does not say the righteous will live by works. Now, I know many of you in this room say, I I get that. 
I believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But even though we profess that, we live as though we still got to earn it. You don't got to earn God's love. You're as loved as you're ever going to be in the cross of Jesus Christ. And if it did, if this verse said, the righteous shall live by works, do you realize that that is an impossible task for you? Because the, the, what God demands isn't that you be okay or good. It demands perfection. Is there anybody that has lived a perfect life, not a perfect day, not the day you killed it spiritually, you got an accountability, you got up and prayed, you read, your, you read a whole chapter, that, not that day. The day you was whack. The day you spiritually didn't talk to the Lord, you ain't read your Bible, you ain't get around. That day, like you messed up that day, messes your whole life up. And so you got to understand what God demands is perfection. He doesn't grade on a curve. There, there's two percentages for God. You either got a hundred, you got a zero. It ain't no fifties with God. He don't accept eighties. He don't accept nineties. Now, here's the reality. Here's the scary part. All of us in this room got zeros. There's not a person in here that got a hundred. And my question is, how do we get that hundred? Well, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ lives a perfect life, lives up to, to the demands of his father, and he shows us how to get that hundred. But he, I love him because he goes to a cross and he says, you know what? I don't need this hundred. I'm going to take your zero. And then I'm going to give you the hundred. And so we stand before God with A pluses, smiling and cheesing. And God stood before his father with the zero that you deserved, even though he earned it. He earned the hundred, but he gave it to you. And he took the zero. What God demands, Jesus Christ gives us. With the perfection that God demands, Jesus Christ provided that for us. And so the reason I'm so excited to preach the gospel is because I realized, first of all, it's a hopeful message. You can't make this stuff up. Like if you gave me an option to, to try to figure out the gospel and how to make up my own gospel, it's going to be so whack. Y'all not y'all going to be like, that's how we get into heaven. But only God can come up. Only God can come up with a scandalous plan that involves his son, Jesus Christ, showing you his affections for you, the willingness that he had to give his son for you. My question is, are you ashamed of that message? Is your life marked by shame of the gospel? And my hope and prayer is that today that as we land this plane, that you will consider the reality of what it means to live a life of being unashamed of the gospel, a life that is outward and showing everybody around you should know that you are deeply in love with Jesus. And if people around you don't know that, we might be ashamed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Somebody in here, there's really, there's two types of people in this room right now. There's that person that hasn't trusted in Jesus. And now, now they love them. <laughs> it's major. It's a good album. But there's somebody in here that hasn't trusted in Jesus. You, you don't know the Lord. You don't, you don't know Christ. You, 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 you've kind of, you just enjoy community. You've been here before. You, you like the people. You know, you like the music. You like the worship team. But in reality, you know that you don't know the Lord. My fear for you today that you would walk out of here and not accept him. My fear for you today is that you would think you got more time. It's so foolish. You know how fleeting life is? 
You know how quick life goes? The Bible says life is like a vapor. You know, light, you, you can be here today and gone today. Not tomorrow, today. It's that fleeting. My hope and prayer is that you will get to know Jesus today. A second group of people in here, which is probably majority of the room, is you've trusted in Jesus. You've given your life to him. But your life shows us that you're ashamed of the gospel. And you know I'm talking to you. You know, you deep down inside, you know that you're not living up to what God is calling you to. Many of you, God has put gifts in you and talents in you and called you to do something, but you've ignored it. Why? Because you, it's been just too inconvenient for you to strive towards. And if that's you, I want to pray for that second group today. I want to pray for every single person that has trusted in Jesus, but you know that you've lived a life of being ashamed of the gospel. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Nothing to be ashamed of. I see those hands. I see those hands. There's more of you in here. Keep that hand up. You'll say, that's me. I'm, I just haven't lived up to it. Not that I got to live up to it to earn your love. You love me. I know you love me. But I want to show how much I love you by my life reflecting that I'm not ashamed. Is that you? Here, the altar call, you don't got to come to the altar today. I'm bringing the altar to you. Father, I pray for every hand that's held up here. Reality is, Lord, you, you do call us to grow in you and to spiritual maturity. Some of us in this room just haven't always lived up to that. Forgive us for people around us not knowing that we love you. Forgive us for living those lives that are, that are stark contradictions to the gospel. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. May our lives reflect what we profess. Father, we do love you. We do want to strive after you. Well, some of us need to inconvenience ourselves. Some of us need to move out of a place of comfort so that we can live out this thing boldly for you. There's a lost world. There's lost people on our floor, in our building, on our jobs. Forgive us for not reflecting you. May we be glory reflectors, Lord, of the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the person that didn't raise their hand that hasn't trusted in you, Lord, I pray for them today. Lord, I genuinely believe that your gospel is dunamis, has power. I don't know who that person is today, but may they not leave today without talking to somebody. And saying, I need, to, I need to profess faith in this Jesus that y'all proclaim. I need to give my life to him. I need to turn from my sin and accept the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. I need him today. Father, would you save them? I love salvation, Lord, because it ain't up to them. They can run all they want to. If you want them, they're yours. Because not only does your gospel have power, but you got power. So, Father, would you save somebody today? May we walk out of here, Lord, today and be serious doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. May we walk out of here and not just take notes, but try to apply what we've heard, read, and wrote today. May we genuinely put shoe leather on this word and walk it out for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.